Berkshire Hathaway chugs ahead, banks get ready to get stressed out, and Ray Lewis is ticked off. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Monday. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This is David Hansen. This is where the money is. And David, Pamela Anderson ran the New York City Marathon over the weekend. What's the deal? When are you going to run your marathon? Pam Anderson, the Pam Anderson of Baywatch. That does make me sound pretty lazy, but what was her time you were telling me before? Five hours and 41 minutes. I think I could probably beat that without training. You probably could, so go ahead and do it. Okay, next year. Next year? Maybe. Sooner than that. I think we can get one sooner than that. All right. Headlines for the day. Let's start off with a little Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. Why not? Uh, from Bloomberg, Berkshire profit advances 29% on railroad investments. Uh, it looked like a pretty good quarter to me. I mean, it's, this is Berkshire Hathaway. There's not, there was nothing crazy about the quarter. Uh, shareholders' equity is up about 10.3% so far this year. That's pretty nice, although... The, the equity market has been up much more. Uh, Buffett likes to benchmark the company, the, the growth in shareholder equity versus the, the returns on the S&P 500. And he typically says that in years when the market is doing really well, when the market is really charging ahead like it is this year, those are going to be the, the years that are toughest for Berkshire. But the last few years have, it, have been, this has been a string of years that mm-hmm. have been tough for Berkshire. This looks like it could be another one. Relatively tough. It's all relative. It's all relative, yeah. Uh, On net so far this year, Berkshire has used about $5 billion worth of cash, but this is such a cash-generating machine. There's still $42 billion on the books that Buffett needs to figure out what to do with. Um, And like I said, overall, a solid quarter. Uh, This is a company very hitched to the U.S. economy. Uh, Big insurance operation, but also you've got the big railroad uh, operation, which has been performing well. Uh, but that's all about shipping things, moving things from one place to the other, which isn't going to do well unless the economy does. And then a lot of manufacturing and retail businesses that obviously will do better when the economy is doing right. well. Right. It's a different business mix than it kind of the historical Berkshire was when it was much more insurance heavy with the, with the railroads now, with the energy business. It's becoming more of an operating business and less reliant on the investment income and the insurance business there. But overall, good quarter. Not, not a surprise here. We knew it was going to be a, a solid quarter for Berkshire. Sure. Next headline of the day comes from Bloomberg. This says, Fed gives banks new dire scenarios for 2014 stress tests. It's very dire out there for the the banks. So if you remember back to March, we did extensive coverage of the stress test. They're almost here again. It's going to be very exciting. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. We've got a few more months. So this is the stress test and also the Fed determining whether banks can issue more dividends, increase share buybacks. There were 18 banks that took part in this CCAR, which takes into account the, the capital distributions there last year. This year, there'll be Getting 30. a little jargony there, capital distributions, dividends, and share buybacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there, there, are 18, <laughs> there are 18 last year. There will be 30 this year. There's 12 newbies that are coming in. They're moving down the line in terms of size there. It's going to be the same old stuff. I don't think we're among the newbies. That, since you mentioned here. the newbies, hold on before you move on. Before the newbies include Comerica, Discover, uh, Huntington Bank shares, M and T Bank, and Zion's Bank Corp. Just in case any of those shareholders are listening, those are a few of the new companies that will now be participating in the CCAR. Right, and I, I don't think we're going to see too much exciting stuff come out of the CCAR this year. Last year. We saw Bank of America, Bank of America, get the authorization to buy back shares. So that was kind of the big news. Citigroup had some good results there. This year, it's kind of okay. All the banks are pretty well capitalized. I don't think anything's going to be a big surprise this year. 
I don't know. Last year, we kind of saw some hesitation on the Fed in, in, in approving the, the Goldman Sachs and the, the J.P. Morgan plans. I, I think there's still, among the biggest banks, it's still tough. It's still, will they get to raise dividends? I mean, Citigroup and, and Bank of America both uh, kind of on that will they, won't they kind of thing with the dividends. So I think that'll be worth watching. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting is the Fed, the Fed gives these scenarios. Anybody can go and look at them on the Fed website. The baseline scenario, this isn't necessarily the Fed's uh, forecast, but under the baseline scenario, the Fed, see, the, the Fed has um, the 10-year Treasury uh, heading to 4.4% by the end of 2016. Uh, so that's kind of a long, long way there. Real GDP growth staying below 3% through the end of 2016. Uh, and unemployment not going, the unemployment rate not going below 6.5%, that key rate that the Fed right. is looking for to change its positioning until mid-2015. Reading the tea leaves. I guess. Um, <laughs> in the severely adverse uh, scenario, this is, this is the dire part of it, uh, they have GDP declining as much as 6.1%, unemployment going to 11.3%, and the Dow falling to 89 43, which would be about down about 43 percent mm-hmm. from today. Uh, of the new things that the Fed is doing this year, there's a counterparty scenario where the, the banks are going to have to say what would happen if a major counterparty failed. This, I think, is, is, is important and, and is a, a neat addition to the CCAR tests because during the financial crisis, this was a big issue. This, it was a lot about mm-hmm. what happens. It's one of the main issues. Uh, yeah, if, uh, if counterparties are going down. Like, say, I don't know, Lehman Brothers? Right. <laughs> uh, or AIG, for that matter. Exactly. Uh, third headline of the day. Interesting one. Interesting one. American banker, NFL players sue BB&T for $60 million claiming illegal withdrawals. This is, uh, this is an interesting collection of players. It includes Frank Gore of the San Francisco 49ers, uh, Santonio Holmes of the New York Jets, and Ray Lewis, formerly... Of the Baltimore Ravens. He does not look happy. No, no. And, and you know what? If, if I'm going to, if I'm a bank and I'm going to make anybody angry, the last person that, that, that's going to be on that list is, uh, is Ray Lewis. Um, and, and this was about an, an organization. This was a, a Bank Atlantic thing. Right. right? And, and organization. acquired Bank Atlantic, right. so they kind of inherited this mess here. Uh, and what was the entity it was called? Pro Sports Financial. So they set up accounts on behalf of these NFL players, and then kind of withdrew the money, allegedly, without telling the NFL players, and invested it in a casino in Alabama. So now I guess they're claiming that this is BB&T's problem, and they're suing BB&T. $60 million, that's not a, a big deal. It's an interesting story. You get cool names in the headlines, but if you're a BB&T shareholder, don't be worried that Ray Lewis but, is coming after you. But doesn't this mean that BB&T is a criminal enterprise? I mean, think about if this had come out about J.P. Morgan. This would I'm surprised just be, it hasn't. I'm sure it will. <laughs> this would just be added to the laundry. Oh, this is more evidence that J.P. Morgan is a criminal enterprise. What's the difference between this and what's going on at J.P. Morgan? I don't, there, is, there is no difference. But, I mean, this is alleged. They're not being convicted of anything criminal here. But, again, I don't think this is a big deal. We talked about BB&T, the stock, last week. We both think it's a, it's, it's a fine bank. It has a solid collection of businesses. Maybe you not like, a glaring like, You buy. like it better than I do. Uh, I like it a little bit. I'm a shareholder, but... Uh, this isn't making me nervous at all. I think it's a fine business. I think the stock, oh, no, definitely. I think the stock is a hold right now, uh, but this isn't impacting that decision at no, all. No, not at all. All right, uh, moving on to the events, the big events for this week, what's going to happen later in the week. Of course, it is still earnings season, mm-hmm. and we've gotten through most of the banks. 
Uh, we've gone through a bunch of the insurance companies. We'll still see some more insurers uh, um, report this week. But it's sort of a, it's sort of a mishmash of, of REITs and insurance companies still reporting this week. Uh, Vornado Realty, uh, one of the big equity REITs, will be reporting tomorrow on Tuesday. Uh, Two Harbors, my favorite mortgage REIT. Uh, and Martian McLennan, big insurance broker, both reporting on Wednesday. Silver Bay Realty, uh, one of the bigger players in the single-family home ownership rental yep. REIT kind of business. Uh, they'll be reporting Thursday. Also, Markel, one of the insurance favorites at the Fool in General and also of this show, uh, they'll be reporting Thursday as well. And, of course, Annalie Capital. At some reporting point, sometime. Still being Who knows? <laughs> we'll know when they report it. They don't really like to let us know. When so with, with Two Harbors reporting, we've been talking about them a fair amount on the show recently. You say that you like them. You're not a shareholder. Is there anything in, that would come out in this earnings report that would maybe convince you that you'd maybe pull the trigger and buy shares? Or is it just not at that time yet? I I'm not against I'm not against owning it so much as as it's, other opportunities other there places. are other opportunities out there I probably should own at least a, a little position in it but but one thing I will mention is just uh, doing this show working at the Fool in general we're very transparent we we like to avoid any sorts of conflicts of interest so when we talk about any stock on this show uh, we have we, we can't trade in something two days before we mention it and up to two days after those are trading days. Right. So we would essentially not have to talk about Two Harbors for a week. That would make you sad. It would make me sad. Um, but at some point, maybe in the near future, I may have to do that in order to get a little bit of that in my portfolio. All right. The one company that you did not mention that is also reporting this week, tomorrow, is B of I, Bank of Internet. And the oh, stock's been on, been on a great run this year. But in the last couple of weeks, it's had a, rough, had a rough run here. And it's come back a little bit. I think that's mostly due just because of the valuation. This stock has been on a crazy run. And when we look at the numbers, over the last three years, book value per share has gone up 48% in total. They're not annually, 48%, which is good. That's very solid. But the stock price over that time period... Very solid. That's amazing. The stock price over that time period has gone up around 300%. 48% the book value, 300% the stock price. So this is the multiple that you're paying for this bank has really shot up, uh, especially this year, up 80% just year to date. Um, so I'd, I'm interested to see, are they continuing to grow? If they are, the valuation still looks pricey to me, but it's down around 1.3, I mean, uh, 3.1, 3.1%. Percent, <laughs> I was going to say, 1.3. 3.1 times, 3.1 times uh, book value there. And when you look at a, a company like U.S. Bank, or a bank that we talk about as being a, a great long-term holding, that trades at around three times tangible books. So less, less. So, so, it's, so it's right around there. I'm not saying I'm running out into buying Bank of Internet, but... It'll be interesting to see what their numbers look like. So, so when you when you say that when you say that comparison, would you rather buy Bank of Internet than U.S. Bancorp? At the same valuation, potentially. Just because when you look at U.S. Bancorp, they've proven that they can operate well. They've grown deposits thirty percent. They're growing net income thirty percent. They're growing very rapidly compared to a U.S. Bancorp. You, you, s- ha- you said U.S. Bancorp. You meant Bank of Internet. Correct. I'm all jumbled. Ew, it's making are. me all jumbled. It's, it is Monday. It is Monday. Uh, but yeah, they're they're growing very fast. It's Their more growth strong. Thing. Yeah. So if they were the same valuation, I think I'd be more interested in Bank of Internet. Okay. Uh, other things happening this week. We'll have an advanced reading on Q3 GDP. Uh, that's expected to come in at 1.9%. That's essentially meaningless, though. We're going to get revisions, and the revisions are probably going to take that drastically in one direction or the other, as has been the case 
time and time again. Payrolls also this week, mm-hmm. 100,000 payroll additions expected. The unemployment rate is expected to be at 7.3%. Um, I don't really care. I, I, I don't care. Th- that's not going to that's <laughs> not really going to change my thinking that much, but it will be a big theme later this week. In focus for today, insurance earnings. Like I said, the earnings season is starting to get to the end. We've gotten through most of the insurance companies. Uh, like I said, Markel is a big one that we'll see later this week. Uh, but there are two things that I have been focusing on this earnings season for the insurance companies. One is rates. So the the premium rates that the insurance companies can charge, particularly on the property and casualty side, there had been a number of years where it was considered a soft market. So soft market versus a hard market insurance basically means can you charge a lot of money and and actually earn good returns on the insurance that you're writing versus a soft market where there's a lot more competition, uh, pricing is a little bit tougher, and it's, it's more difficult to get good underwriting results. So that's a soft market. It's been a soft market for a lot of years. It has been changing over the past uh, maybe year or so. Uh, the market's been hardening up a little bit. Uh, companies have been able to rate, uh, bring rates up a little mm-hmm. bit, and that's been good. So I've been looking for signs of more of that this quarter, and it's been a little bit mixed. So, so Allstate reported last week, gave some indications that some of their prices are going up, but it sounds like it's getting a little bit more competitive. Some of the big... Uh, homeowner, homeowners insur- insurers, uh, some of the big auto insurers that Allstate competes with, they're starting to cut rates in some places, so that's going to make it a little bit more difficult for somebody like Allstate to continue to raise rates. Uh, AIG said that rates are that they reported on, was it Friday? Was mm-hmm. it? I think it was Friday. Thursday uh, night. Thursday night. They said rates are still going up, particularly in the U.S., but competition is starting to heat back up. So some more of that kind of theme. And Berkshire, in its, in its 10Q, uh, which just came out on Friday, mm-hmm. um, Berkshire said that it's still very competitive in property and casualty. So if you're looking for a continuing hardening of the market and, and much more gains in, in premium rates, we may not get that. But, but at least it doesn't sound like competition is getting so crazy yet. Uh, on, the, on the reinsurance side, I think the co- competition is still much tougher. Uh, there's a lot more capital sloshing around in the reinsurance industry. A lot of that has to do, though, with hedge funds and pension funds looking for other areas to invest in because rates are so low. And the reinsurance market is one of the places that they've been going. And when, when you talk about pricing, there's one insurance company that, that's on my radar is Progressive. And they've been able to raise prices a little bit. And you can tell by the premiums that they're taking in and compare that to kind of just how many premiums are outstanding. If that's growing at a faster rate, then they're, they're able to raise prices there. And a company like that has an advantage over Allstate. They don't have the, the agent business model. They do direct insurance to the consumer. Similar so can, to Geico at Berkshire. Right. So you can look at those type of companies that even if it is a little bit of a soft market, they can maybe undercut you on the pricing there. Right. And it's it's also kind of different, too, when we think about an Allstate, which is a, or a, a progressive, which are big, uh, big insurers mm-hmm. doing mostly vanilla-type insurance. Uh, they, they take maybe a little bit of a different approach than, say, a Berkshire or a Markel in their underwriting where they're going to they're going to cut the rates to a razor thin area where they're still get good underwriting results. Obviously, you always want to get good underwriting results, but are willing to take a little bit of a pricing hit. Um, Berkshire will just stop writing right. insurance. So will Markel. They'll just when the when the prices aren't there, when the rates aren't there, they'll just stop. On the investment side, 
Uh, AIG had actually been putting up some really nice investment results helped by alternative investments. Uh, they didn't have quite as much of a, of a return from that this past quarter. Uh, this past quarter, they, it just wasn't as much of a contributor. They said it didn't perform as well. Um, Allstate said it's been helped by its investments in limited partnerships. So between the two of them, it shows how insurance companies have been looking outside of uh, the fixed income market and the straight equity market, the public equity market, mm-hmm. in order to try to juice the returns a little bit. Meanwhile, Greenlight Reinsurance, which is the reinsurer whose investments are managed by David Einhorn and Greenlight Capital, that's, a, that's an interesting one to watch, but it's sort of an outlier, particularly on the investment mm-hmm. side. But, uh, but I looked at his commentary anyway to see what he was saying, and here's what Einhorn said. He said, as the markets continued its relentless climb, we've been more conservatively positioned, and we ended the quarter 35% net long, down from 42% at the end of the quarter. It's a little bit jargony there. Basically, what he's saying is they're running a long, short portfolio for the reinsurer, and uh, the balance of their long versus short positions are moving more to the uh, more to the short side, mm-hmm. but they're still they're still net exposed. They're still net long, uh, so that that gives some perspective on where the insurers are positioning their portfolios. Right. Moving on to the mailbag. The mailbag. Let me point out first we email address, of course. Mm-hmm. Email address is WTMI. That's where the money is. That's our initials, WTMI at fool.com. Uh, viewers and reader in not readers, listeners can email us with questions, with comments, with hate mail, with love mail, with whatever they want, WTMI at fool.com. The question uh, that we got today was about a bank that we don't usually talk about here, Bank mm-hmm. Popular uh, in Puerto Rico. The question was, I wanted to ask you how you feel about BPOP, it seems that's a ticker symbol. It seems to, if you couldn't guess, it seems to depend heavily on the economy of Puerto Rico, which makes me nervous. But the fundamentals seem solid. How do you see it? That is from Jose. David, thoughts? Thanks for the question, Jose. It's an yes. interesting question. They, well, he's definitely correct that they're very heavily dependent on the, the Puerto Rican economy, which I can understand his concerns. That if we just step back and look at the country as a whole, I'm not an, an expert on the Puerto Rican economy. Really? So full disclosure there, but. It, it, it's obviously been in the news lately with their debt market or with the bond market there. Just the economy as a whole, unemployment, labor participation rates, not good. No. And when you look at the bank itself, did not have a good time coming out of out of the recession. Pretty pretty ugly loan book there, especially their mortgage book. They've still been setting aside a lot of money for loan losses. And if you look at kind of the trailing 12 months, you might see, oh my gosh, their net income yeah. was awesome. Huge. But that's because of a huge tax benefit that they took. So the fundamentals might look great on paper if you don't dig in any deeper. That may not be the case. The stock is trading at a 25% discount to tangible book. Mm-hmm. But I think that's warranted considering what may still be on those books in terms of write-downs. The profitability going forward does not look like it's going to be anywhere, anywhere near a double-digit return on equity, maybe five percent if, if they're lucky there um so yeah i think it's for good reason that it's trading pretty cheaply it's i'm not an expert on it but from what i saw it nothing really got me excited here other than the fact that they are the dominant bank in puerto rico they hold about 38 percent of the deposits mm-hmm. uh for the i guess country there territory, territory. whatever we're going to call it uh so they're obviously the biggest bank there, consumer bank deposit bank in uh in the area. That, that's one thing that maybe if you're taking a really long-term view that they get past all this, it could potentially be um, a good investment. But in the next several years, 
doesn't look like there's a ton of light at the end of the tunnel. What, one of the things that regular viewers and listeners will know that I like to focus on is the realized return, return on realized return on equity that mm-hmm. investors get from a bank. Uh, in this case, when you adjust, if you just look at the straight numbers, like you said, over the past 12 months, you're looking at a, a return on equity of somewhere around 12%, which looks awesome. Mm-hmm. When you adjust those numbers, you're probably looking at something more like uh, a 4% kind of range uh, at, at a 25% discount to tangible book value, like you said. Your, it, your actual return on equity, to, the return on equity to investors, is somewhere in the 55 to 6% range. And today, there are just better opportunities out there mm-hmm. in, the, in the banking sphere. So uh, to me, this is a pass. I think there are much better banks. Yeah, yeah. I, if this was a regional bank in the U.S. with a recovering housing economy and the economy doing well, I'd say no maybe, way. I'd say maybe. Really? If it was in, if it was in the U.S. with no. a, re- a recovering economy, but Puerto Rico, there's a lot of questions about their economy. I, I would I would say the fact numbers. that it's in Puerto Rico makes me. If the, if I saw these kind of numbers in a bank in the U.S., I would say no. There are, there are way better opportunities. It's a little bit more interesting because it's in Puerto Rico to me. All right. And, and because of that dominant position that you were just talking about. We'll, we'll see. But. Oh, we will. We All will, right. David. All right, moving on. Game for the day is making the grade, and because I've been talking so much, we've got to speed it along. Uh, what we're going to do here, two scenarios. For each scenario, we're going to draw a beautiful picture for our mm-hmm. viewers, and we'll try to describe that for our listeners. The first of those scenarios is about mortgage REITs. And the, uh, the description here, mortgage REITs' decision to get defensive and cut dividends. David, what is your pictorial thought on that? I'm going to go pretty boring. I'm going to give it a B plus. And anyone who out there holds a mortgage rate and is getting their dividends cut, they're probably going to be pretty angry that I would give that a B plus because that's less income coming into them. But I think it's the right move. I think you have to be defensive here and take the long-term strategy. If you're investing in a mortgage rate for the income and you really need that income, I don't know if that's the best decision. I think you could probably, probably do a little bit better in, in a safer alternative that yields a little bit less. But for the long-term strength of the company, B+. Plus. What is that? That is O plus fence. O plus offense. <laughs> Sometimes your best offense is a good defense. And I, I think right now, I, I think they've got the right idea that in this environment, when you don't know what the Fed's going to do, but you know, I, I think you've got to know that something's going to happen within the next six months or so. I, I, think it's, I think it's smart to get defensive and wait for better opportunities. All right. Next scenario is grade Berkshire Hathaway's latest earnings report. You can go first on this one. Uh, that means I have to draw extra fast. Oh, this is, this is horrible. Explain that picture. <laughs> this, is, this is about the worst train that That's I could bad. possibly draw. No, this is awful. This is terrible. What are you talking about? I appreciate your support, though. A train, why? It's, it's, a train, it's a train chugging along because Berkshire Hathaway is chugging along. It's the, largest, it's the largest individual stock holding in my portfolio. It's not a company that I worry about. It's one that I expect reasonable returns year over year, um, but nothing, nothing spectacular chugging along, compounding my returns over time. I agree with almost everything you said. Actually, I agree with everything you said. Wow. I'm going to give it I'm going to give it a 9.5. That's strong. That's very strong. 9.5 yeah. with those earnings and like you said, if you're owning Berkshire Hathaway, you need to be owning it for the long term. These earnings should just reinforce that you believe in the long-term business. Sure. Giving it a 9.5. What else do you want? The, the a 10 was, Let's just end it there. What else do you thing. want? Exactly. What else do you want? Moving on. Finishing off in the Twitter sphere, David, what's our first tweet? Rapid fire Twitter sphere. Yeah, rapid-fire right. Twitter sphere. All right, the first... Wait, wait, wait. Let's say first, 
at TMF Financials. That's our Twitter handle. Tweet us comments, tweet us questions, just like the email address. Uh, go for it. All right. The first tweet is from the American Banker. It's a poll. It says, will J.P. Morgan's $13 billion settlement be a historic peak? And here are the results. We have a picture of the results. And only 14% said yes, that this is the peak, that there will not be a higher point for uh, a post-crisis settlement here. Do you agree with that? That's pretty scary. I think it's kind of a dumb question. Uh, I love American Banker, so that's nothing against American Banker, but I think this is kind of a dumb question because and the, all the coverage over the historic $13 billion settlement, which we've done some of ourselves, this, this is a whole, really a whole bunch of settlements packaged into one. So if, if you True. took a whole bunch of Bank of America's settlements and sandwiched them into one or smushed them all into one, you would have had something way more historic than what uh, J.P. Morgan is paying. Fair enough. Um, as far as whether there will be more big settlements, I think probably, yeah. All right. Next tweet. Next tweet. This is from Dion Roberts. That's at Dion E. Roberts. Bank of America wins contract to handle electronic payments for the state of North Carolina. This, in and of itself, is not significant to the business of Bank of America, but I just wanted to to point out that we talk about Bank of America, the legal (laughs) settlements, what does the stock look like? You have to remember, there's still a business here, and there's still people going out and trying to win business. And Bank of America did that in this case. They have a huge, huge presence in a ton of different markets. This is one of them. They have relationships with a lot of governments across the country. They provide services that are in demand. They they provide services. Imagine that. So you have to remember there's actually a business going on when they release earnings. Don't just look at what was the legal disclosure. Look at the actual business. See how they're performing. The credit card business last quarter, they issued a million credit cards. A million credit cards. That's a lot. The business is still performing well if you look underneath all of the ugly headlines. I think most U.S. consumers typically hold about a million credit cards. Yeah. Yeah. Roughly. Finish this off. Final tweet. All right. Final tweet is from... Wall Street Journal's Jason Zweig? Zweig. 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 Oh, no. Not the dreaded return of the stock picker. Meme again. Is it meme? Meme. That meme. is a meme. You're having problems here. <laughs> Not the dreaded return of the stock picker. Why are we dreading the return of the stock picker here? Well, because you can't pick stocks. That's what the... Me, personally? That's what, that's what the problem... Well, we know you can't. <laughs> one cannot pick stocks. The idea is one cannot pick stocks. It's better to be in a diversified index fund with low fees. And we, on this show, or I at least, because I, I, know, I know left from right, will not knock low-cost index funds. They are a great, they're a great, great tool for a wide variety of investors. However, I do believe that the market is not always intelligent. Uh, often gets stupid, often gives really great bargains, uh, and I think that there are some of them out there today. And at, at the risk of going against Jason Swig, who is a very, very bright guy, mm-hmm. um, I think I think it, it pays to be a stock picker, all right. particularly right now. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. You're all about the we'll see. All right, maybe maybe you'll. Uh, well, I don't want to take either position. I don't want to side with him or side with you. So then I can really? win. I can win here and I can win there. Oh, you're a crafty one. <laughs> all right, that's the show for today, folks. Again, our Twitter address is at TMF Financials. Please tweet at us. Our email address is wtmi at fool.com. I am Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>